Hello and welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am the other one of your co-hosts, John Polking. This is One and Done because we watch shows that only lasted one season, John, and lasted one season. That is the key phrase in there. It wasn't ordered to only be one season like some of our favorite Shows like John Adams starring Paul Giamatti. We do constantly talk about John Adams. I We're mean, always talking about his ponytail. Number two on the charts, number one in our hearts. <laughs> so it's not limited series that we review here. It is shows that were canceled during or after their first season. And we uh, will tell you all about why they were canceled. We'll tell you whether they're good or not. And all kinds of fun facts like that. John, did I miss anything? No, but apparently you're stepping on my line. That's fine. Okay, I'm glad we're here because we are doing a nice courteous waltz on their graves. And we're going to look into what they were, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today we are watching what Variety called a much reworked recast mess. That's right, you guessed it. 2001's Bob Patterson created by and starring Jason Alexander. But first, let's talk about some other stuff we're watching. Yeah. What have you uh, recently been divulging into? Well, John, I think we should talk about how, at this recording, The Batman has recently come out. Yes, starring former One and Done alumnus Zoe Kravitz. Wow, that's, yeah, that's true. Uh, Hopefully our High Fidelity episode gets a little bump because of it. Because she's regaining popularity, and rightfully so. She's I really man. liked her in that movie. She's good in everything. You know, she she's is. just good. Epitome of cool. She's a raw talent also. John, please tell the listeners what you told me you thought of the Batman. Because listeners, you have to get this soundbite. This is quintessential John describing his viewing experience. This is exactly what our friends make fun of him for but also why we love him. John, what do you think about the Batman? I don't want to say it anymore. I'll say it for you. I don't want to say it anymore. I will rip the covers off your bed and I will blast you with cold water until you go to school, young They're man. They're my words. They're my words. I should say it. Uh, okay, let me get this right. I said I appreciated it more than I enjoyed it. No. 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 What was it? You said you appreciated it and you respected it, but you didn't enjoy it. Okay. That's basically what I just said, though. No, 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 no. Because there's more of an arc to that other framing. Okay. Because you said you acknowledged that they did something unique. Yes. By via saying you respected it. Mm -hmm. You... Appreciated, I suppose, the angle that they took on it and the big swings that they made, and the fact that the the you said that there are good performances. You thought all the performances were really good. These are truth facts, yes. And yet, it did not come together for you. What what's your what's your beef without spoilers? Okay, well, first of all, I did have just a bad experience because I went opening night and I sat in the second row, all the way off to the left, in a curved screen which basically distorted the entire view of this very visual movie. So that didn't help anything. It sounds like you have to go rewatch the whole thing. But it's three hours long. And I, hell yeah. I liked 
elements of it, but I was generally very bored. And I did not really care about what was happening. I liked where it landed. I liked certain parts of it. I will probably see the sequel. I did not enjoy myself watching the movie, though. You you just kept being like, when's it gonna when's it gonna end? It wasn't like when's it gonna end. It was just like, why am I here? What is life? It was a very existential experience for me. I really liked the the detective angle that they took on it. I, I liked... like that they did it. I'm happy that they did it. I just didn't enjoy watching it. What do you mean you're happy that they did it? You just it was didn't unique. enjoy watching it. Was interesting. It. I. I... You just said you were bored, and now you're calling it interesting. It was an interesting idea. There is a difference, sir. So you think you think conceptually it is interesting, but as it is performed and presented, it is not. That is absolutely correct. Yes. Well, I completely Uh, disagree. I I enjoyed I enjoy hearing people talk about it more than I enjoyed actually watching it. So I would love. (laughs) To hear what you liked about it, because I'm sure that I would like that more. Dude, than- me and Natalie were captivated from the very beginning until the very end. I loved that I kept thinking it was almost over, and then there kept being more. And I was like, wow, I thought that was the final twist, but it's not. You've gotten like there Stockholm Syndrome from Lord of the Rings Return of the King or something. Twist. Uh, no, it was nice to see a three hour movie that I did not feel like I was held hostage by because some man Lincoln is like two hours and it feels like three. Uh, maybe it's two and a half. I don't know. No, what else is three hours? Drive my car. And it's fantastic. What is drive my car? Uh, drive my car nominated for best picture, best director, best international feature, best screenplay at the Oscars this year. Oh, this year. Yeah. And it's just because theaters are closed down for like two years on and off. I just, I'm so not in the know for Oscar stuff because I just, I like to see movies in a theater. And if it's going to be like a deeper, more serious movie that I'm like going to feel emotions, I much prefer to watch them in a theater than at my house. Because you don't want to see other people, you don't want other people to see you cry. No, I want other people to hear me cry so they know I'm a sensitive man and they want to <laughs> see my silhouette shake my shoulders shake in the dark as i try to contain my weeps you are a first year photography grad student's wet dream that's that's all i ever wanted when i went to musical theater school um but we were captivated from beginning to end and honestly watching it with natalie was like a trip and a half because like at one point she audibly yelled out, oh my God. And she was like making faces. She was grabbing my arms. She was just so, it was a kinetic experience for her. And it was like fun and funny to watch it with her and slightly embarrassing, but also like it was fine because the people around us kind of got a thrill at how animated she was while we were watching it. Also in Austin, there is the purest, biggest IMAX experience I've ever had. It's this place called Bob Bullock Theater. It's attached to like the Texas History Museum for some reason. And it's only $15. It's cheaper than fake Lowe's AMC IMAX. It's 
thinking. That's what's amazing going, about it. Going back like 20 years, we're talking about Lowe's. Is it? When did they get bought out? Like Probably when we were in high school. So no like way. 15 years ago. Yeah. Oh, God. I always remember seeing V for Vendetta at a Lowe's. Yeah. Those were the good days. Those were the uh, good days when there were two giant evil competing theater chains. Now we've just got four ones that are just trying to hold on. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, the thing I really want to recommend right now is The Worst Person in the World. Do you know this mm, movie? Mm-mm. A Is that the angriest man in Brooklyn? That is not Robin the angriest Williams. man in Brooklyn. <laughs> no, uh, it is a movie from Norway uh, about a woman in her late 20s, early 30s, just going through her life and uh, trying to figure out her relationships and herself as best as she can. It's basically like the Nordic uh, Francis Ha. It's nominated for a couple Oscars this year and so i wanted to see it and man did it rock me i enjoyed that movie so thoroughly it's funny it's interesting it's weird it's sad it has seeped into my bones and i also wanted to talk about i just wanted to throw it out there because the movie's called the worst person in the world and we're going to be talking about the real worst person in the world today bob patterson bob john patterson. real quick before we move on did you, so you enjoyed the movie, Yes. but did you appreciate and respect it? I did both. Because yes. from my experience with you, they're not all tied together. They're not mutually exclusive, no. I mean, <laughs> no. They, they are not, they do not automatically go together. Ian is taking such sick delight in Dude, shoving just... my pretension up my stupid butt right I, now. I don't, I don't know, man. It's just, you're just a trip to, you're just a trip when it comes to, uh, because you watch so much television and movies. Yes. And you are such an emotional watcher. Like, yes. you love to just have your heart swelled by something. Fully. But also, you hate so much. Uh, I can never, like, sometimes you give, I feel like you give slack to some things and you don't to others. And I can never quite find a through line and it's just funny to me i like to keep people on their toes i am a passionate human being that generally likes most things and i didn't hate the batman i just didn't like the batman i didn't say you hated the batman i just think you are a freak of nature and i love i love it i love watching you squirm trying to explain yourself well, I think you're a silly little Sasquatch that deserves the best things in life. And you know what time it is, as Ian's trying to cue me into right now. I think it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! Bob Patterson is a cultural icon and the third most popular self-help guru in America. Unfortunately, he can't seem to get any respect at his home or office. No respect at all. No respect at all. At least that's the way that they pitched the show. For some cultural context, this show came out three and a half years after Seinfeld was off the air during one of the golden ages of comedy in America. That's right, October 2nd, 2001, three weeks after 9-11. Remember those good old days, John? Yeah, we we were on uh, the playground, fourth grade. I remember that very vividly. Did I tell you? 
You might have, actually. Because I knew and I went around telling kids. I was like, a terrorist attacked the World Trade Center. Don't you know? You're such a little snitch. My Dude, gosh. I'm a hipster, too. I wanted yeah. to be the first one. But I was just running around the uh, playground saying, guys, it's only a month away until Bob Patterson premieres. That's right. Yeah. Got, you had your Bob Patterson t-shirt on and your Bob Hatters- Patterson commemorative keychain. I do like the idea of something being called Bob Hatterson. And it's like- <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh. Jason Alexander's head on your, on your head. Yeah, your limited edition Bob Patterson Adidas Patterson? Bob Patterson Hatterson. Bob Patterson's Hatterson. Yeah, they honestly, if the show would have lasted longer, think of the uh, marketing. What am I trying to say? Think the merchandising. The, merchandising. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. So this came out roughly three weeks after 9-11 for some comedy uh, retrospective. Letterman came back September 17th. Conan back came back September 19th. The Daily Show came back September 20th. The movie Big Trouble starring Tim Allen featured a storyline with a nuke on a plane and was supposed to come out September 21st, 2001, but was delayed till April 5th, 2002 and was given a limited release and essentially torpedoed by Disney, which is a shame because that is an awesome movie. It's a good book, too. Dave Barry wrote it. Really? Yeah. I, I wrote, I remember like. I didn't know it was a book. I just think reason, of the Barry Sonnenfeld I, movie. I got the, like, not like the book when, you know, it had the cover of the movie on it. And I just remember being like, one oh, of those. this would be good. And I, I threw out the book because I didn't like one part of it. I'm not going to get into why, but I, I had such a, like a reverence. I was so excited for big trouble. It's honestly one of. Like, I remember parts of 9-11, but I really remember Big Trouble being delayed. Me too. I wasn't, like, so psyched about Big Trouble that I was, like, bummed that it got delayed. I just have such a sense memory of where I was. In addition, I remember where I was when I found out that Big <laughs> Trouble got delayed. Do you remember where you were when Big I'd Trouble never was forget. released? I never forget. Pushed back? So that movie was tanked. It's actually a great watch. It's a really fun movie. I highly recommend it. Easy to put on, too. Great cast. Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, baseball came back September 21st. The Comedy Central roast of Hugh Hefner was kind of a cultural touchstone because it took place two weeks after 9-11. It was one of the first major comedy events in New York at the time. Gilbert Gottfried told a joke about his plane making a layover at the Empire State Building, which... Uh, obviously got mixed reviews with the audience. So to pivot from the awkwardness, he launched into a legendary rendition of the aristocrats and audiences were let in on what was a long time insider joke for comedians. Okay. That's a, that's an interesting time. If 9-11 didn't happen, we wouldn't know about the aristocrats joke, John. You, you don't think we ever would have found out about the aristocrats? No, no, it would have been kept under vault and key. Mm. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I guess. I don't really think that. I'm worried about, worried about what I'm going to say next. So maybe we'll just cut this out. Mm. Why don't you just say it and then I'll cut it. (laughs) (coughs) 
I knew that was coming. I, it, I knew it, that was coming. Speaking of inevitable punchlines, let's talk about Bob Patterson. Okay, so it was created by Jason Alexander, who it was essentially his first writing and producing credit. Uh, he described himself as a very hands-on producer, quote, possibly detrimentally so. His model was Jerry Seinfeld, who kind of ran every facet of Seinfeld, and he saw him do it and was like, man, that's how I need to do things. And he kind of, he admits later, he goes, I just may not be all that talented in all those roles, which I thought was kind of big of him to say. The idea was created by Peter Tilden, who wrote, he was a radio personality for a couple decades in LA. He still works. He wrote on a few episodes of Major Dad. John, do you know what Major Dad is? I've never heard of Major Dad. A late 80s, early 90s sitcom, which ran for 96 episodes. And you've what? never heard of it. Exactly. That, why 96? 100 is syndication. Why wouldn't you get to 100? They were tripping, dude. Jeez. They, bad business practice. That's what that is. He also wrote for Bobby's World and a couple other things before co-creating Bob Patterson. And he pitched the show to Jason Alexander after he interviewed him on the radio in the middle of Seinfeld's run. And mm -hmm. that's when they were like, yo, when Seinfeld's over, we're going to talk about this. And then the third creator was a guy named Michael Markowitz, who wrote and produced Duckman, which was a an animated adult cartoon starring Jason Alexander in the mid-90s. If you've ever seen Duckman, it's really funny. I've never seen or heard of Duckman. I have such a blind spot, I think, for 90s mm. sitcoms. I think of it, it's like a dirtier version of The Critic. Ooh. Have you seen The Critic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I kind of think of the two as the same thing. Is The Critic a one and done? No, no. The Critic was maybe three seasons. Oh, okay. I mean, it was made by a couple people who are integral to The Simpsons, so I think they gave them some some leeway on that. I mean, also, I guess good for them. John, you're not letting me get to the biggest thing. Michael Markowitz also wrote on Becker. That is the biggest thing that I could have heard right now. There is nothing right. that could have excited me Did more your than hearing there? about a Becker writing staff member. All right, why don't you tell us about the characters on good old BP? So, Bob Patterson, starring the aforementioned uh, Jason Alexander, uh, third most popular self-help guru in the country. Uh, you will clearly remember Jason Alexander from Jerome, Ro Jerome Robbins Broadway, where he won his Tony Award. Uh, that's the only thing that you could possibly know Jason Alexander from. He was also of in the course, original... 1989's best... Actor in a musical. You, did you know he was in the original cast of Merrily We Roll Along, too? I did. Was that Sondheim's big flop? Yeah. That was Sondheim and uh, Hal Prince's big flop. Wow. And of course, no one can forget Jason Alexander in, you're thinking it, I'll, we'll say it at the same time, one, Dunstan two, three, Shallow in. Hell. Oh. Exactly. We... So close. We were we were nearly in sync. They're both big roles. Big, big roles. Yeah. So Bob Patterson, bit of just a, for lack of a better term, just schlubby character. Uh, you know, a very put upon human being who is somehow the most powerful person in the room and yet the constant beta of every situation <laughs> that he's in, including uh, anything that he's in with his manager, Landau, played by Robert Klein. Okay, how do you think Landau is spelled, Ian? 
Uh, I'm going to say L-A-N-D-A-U. Yes, just like Martin Landau. But who okay. knows if he's actually Martin Landau. Are you making fun of me because I spelled it five different ways in the script? I very much am. In my research? Of course I am. So <laughs> Landau is Bob's longtime manager. He kind of just feels like a cheap imitation of George Siegel's character from Just Shoot Me. Robert Klein had like a ton of stand-up specials, probably met Jason Alexander sort of in the comedy scene of the time. Very tall man as well, which of course plays great against Jason Alexander's uh, shorter stature. So that's, oh, and then also on the business side, we've got Bob's secretary, Claudia, played by, so I won't get too into my feelings about this show right now, but I will say that I think the one thing that does actually work about Bob Patterson is Claudia. And that's, I think, mostly because she's played by the great Chandra Wilson of uh, Grey's Anatomy uh, fame. Bob's uh, secretary, Claudia, is in a wheelchair. That is just rife with humor. Well, they they let us know it over and over again that she's newly in a wheelchair. Yes, newly in a wheelchair. She doesn't quite know how to use it either. And uh, we're really glad that uh, we've got that uh, for Comedy Fodder. Did, did you know Chandra Wilson's been in almost 400 episodes of Grey's Anatomy? No, I did not. Yeah, that is insane. For like for a cartoon, I get that. For a live action TV show, that is like, I, I, I don't know. That's like someone playing basketball for 25 years to me. Just like Iron, I guess they call it Iron Man, Iron Person Award mm-hmm. for just keeping going that's crazy to me yeah it's a it's an impressive streak and she is a genuinely talented uh performer and uh spends a lot of this show crying though which is unfortunate but what are you gonna do sometimes they're tears of joy oh that's true yeah and sometimes she's happy that god answered her prayers so that's nice um we have a couple interns as well that pop in. And by a couple interns, I mean there's one intern in the pilot whose name is Les and another uh, character who's uh, an intern to the rest of the show, and his name is Vic. Uh, we have a, we'll get into it, but we have a couple differences between the pilot and the rest of the show. This is a character that – what do you think the role of this intern is in the are show? Are you talking about Les or Vic? Because those are two very different interns, John. One whips a mug at a handicapped person. The other ducks like this. He does have a very Patrick Warburton-y cadence to him. I like. I actually think Vic is probably the funniest thing of Bob Patterson to me. He's kind of one note, but when he isn't, I think it plays. And I don't know. I mean, he's got a thing, and I think he does it well. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, So that's Bob's office life. We also see a touch of Bob's home life. He has an ex-wife, Janet, played by Jennifer Aspen, who had just come off of three seasons of Party of Five. She had left Bob. Bob had been kind of in a creative rut, but then she came back. Do you know, like, what reason she came back? It's really, like, unexpected and never really explained why. I think at some point they say basically she went off on, like, a sexual escapade with some guy, and she has now returned celibate, which is why the celibate thing is such a big part of her character. Would you call it a globetrotting dalliance? Did they? No, but I'm just asking, would you? Uh, that's that's the erotic version of Around the World in 80 Days. Yeah, Around the World in 80 Lays. 
Am I right? <laughs> I am so proud of myself. That is as good as a Bob Patterson joke. Uh, that's the meanest thing I've heard all day. I do want to say I would watch Jackie Chan in that movie. <laughs> okay. And yeah. Steve Coogan. <laughs> Are you impressed at my around the world in 80 days knowledge? Yeah, but I think there are other adaptations of Around the World in 80 Days that might have gotten a little bit more play than uh, the Steve Coogan, Jackie Chan, Arnold Schwarzenegger joint. Oh, I didn't know he was in it. <laughs> well, clearly you don't know all about Around the World in 80 Days. <laughs> uh, so Janet is recently celibate, so she's just more of a house guest in Bob's world, but also is kind of his muse. And Bob is also joined in episode two by his uh, son, who he was in a couple episodes of some New York shows. He plays with a very, very thick, borderline offensive Brooklyn accent. <laughs> the he, character's name is Jeffrey. Yeah, it's offensive to the Italian X community. Yeah, he is. He's a tough pill to swallow, and I don't like him at all. <laughs> and just. We'll get into the plot of the show. I'll kick it over to you in a second. I just need to say, as we're talking about the characters, that the show does very little groundwork towards the beginning of this series to give you a reason why you should like many of the people involved in it, which is very unusual for a sitcom. Mm -hmm. It is tough to want to laugh at somebody if you're not really given a reason why you're watching them in the first place. And that has that was very difficult for me to start because they really throw you in. I mean, why don't you get into episode one? But they just kind of throw you in the deep end with these characters. They absolutely do. I mean, I, on your point, too, before I do that, characters do something bad or you have to empathize with them at first so that you're like, well, they didn't mean to be this bad. Whereas I think you're saying that we have no in no reason to give most of these characters the benefit of the doubt. There is no saving the cat. There is none of that. All right, let's talk about the pilot right after this quick commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. All right, the pilot of Bob Patterson. Bob is a self-help guru with an inferiority complex when he sees how short he is in his own infomercials next to his celebrity spokesperson, John Tesh. John Tesh. Johnny Tesh. John Tesh of John Tesh fame, who is, you guessed it, John Tesh. These short, tall jokes will haunt the next two episodes over and over again. Bob has a big symposium tomorrow that he has not written a single word for, so his partner Landau suggests they try to come up with a gimmick, like Tony Robbins with the firewalking. Bob has not been laid in months, so he takes an opportunity to hit on an attractive water delivery woman in his office. Maria. She must be in... Oh, that's her name. I... He just knows her as Jugs. She must be in <laughs> great shape from carrying those Jugs around all day. At least that's what Bob says. 
he secures a date with her under the guise of helping her try to get her modeling career off the ground. He heads home to his fortress of solitude to try and finally write his big speech for tomorrow. Commercial break. Bob arrives home to... (laughs) Are you going to say... Act break. (laughs) I don't know. That just feels like an important act break. I wanted to bring it up there. Uh. Bob arrives home to his ex-wife, who he hasn't seen in months, doing a headstand in his armchair. This image lets us know right off the bat that she must be really kooky. She has done a lot of soul searching and has decided to become celibate and needs to stay at Bob's house while she figures her life out. She tells him all this just in time to strip down for a shower, revealing a genital piercing which prominently features their wedding ring. At work the next day, Bob wrote nothing but hot garbage the night before and needs solitude. Of course, this is when everyone needs a word with him. We learn that his gimmick is going to be laying on a bed of nails, and the attractive water delivery woman wants his opinion on nude photos that her brother took of her that she wants to submit to Playboy. Yes, I said that right. Bob's intern says, Bob, come quick, because the, um, there is an emergency. That emergency is Claudia leaning on the kitchen counter trying to grab something from a top shelf. They debate whether she is faking her disability and trying to scam them or not. Somehow they come up with the brilliant solution that they should whip a metal object at her to see if she'll catch it. She doesn't. Bob talks her out of a possible crisis by telling her what an inspiration she is. Claudia tells him that he's much nicer than her old boss, who was, quote, kind of Jewy. Bob's ex tells him she's moving out because she is having trouble differentiating between her friend Bob and the icon Bob. Bob realizes Janet is his muse and begs her to stay. The pilot ends with a rousing success by Bob delivering his new speech while lying on a bed of nails. He ends up in the hospital from this gimmick and tells Landau that he needs help scratching an itch on his right butt cheek. Landau takes a stick-like object from the room to help his friend. Right as he's scratching Bob's itch, the attractive water delivery model comes into the room to check on Bob and is mortified by the seemingly homosexual act and runs away. The audience laughs and applauds as the show cuts to black. Well, John, that was pretty crazy, wasn't it? I would say so. It seems almost like a bad idea to put all of those things into 21 and a half minutes of network TV. Are you, you trying think? to say that there wasn't exactly a through line or a lot of logic to any of it? I would think it seems to me like a bunch of random middle-aged men nonsense that was tied together by some jug jokes. Hey, That's at hey, least how I saw it. They also made fun of the handicapped woman, okay? They did. You're right. They literally assaulted a handicapped woman. That they is did. That is very and, true. And then they made her an anti-Semite. Yeah. So because it's her fault, you know, it, you know, she can't she can't take a joke. Yeah. That, <laughs> no, that, she was an anti-Semite from her old boss, but still. Uh <laughs> that's what they say. Dude, it was just watching the pilot. I had nothing, I had no, I didn't know what to expect watching the pilot. And it was so exhausting to me like it was so much happening and I felt like they were making the viewers do a lot of work by just having to sprint with them down but it's not even a straight line you know it's sprinting in a zigzag track (laughs) that's filled with potholes also it's a 90 degree day and it's tar (laughs) 
And also you don't have any shoes on. <laughs> and also both your pinky toes are broken. Yeah. Cause you can't you can't go through all those obstacles and, you know, not be off balance a little bit. There was there was too much. There was they were trying too much. They were expecting too much. And they didn't give us anything to grab onto. It it felt like I was just climbing a slicked like silo with no ladder. Wow. And like the I was drowning in the soybeans that were being poured down onto me from above. And uh I I kind of I'll be honest, I kind of just let it uh I gave up. I you let were- it I let it happen to me. I didn't engage <laughs> with it. I just kind of disassociated at a hey, point. But you didn't look at your phone, did you? Because you're not supposed to. No, I didn't look That's at my right. phone. That's the whole thing is we don't look at our phones while we watch this no, stuff. Ian Ian is putting me through this pain because somebody loves Seinfeld too much to not let well, Jason actually, Alexander. See, I thought this was the, I think it's a 2006 show starring Jason Alexander that's based what? on the life of PTI co-anchor Tony Kornheiser. You and, thought this uh, was a different show when you suggested this for us? <laughs> yeah, I did. But- you know, Why? I'm glad it happened. Why would you do this to me? John, don't you think that post 9-11 is the perfect <laughs> environment for the show to thrive? Yeah, we're all numb. In an existential crisis trying to figure out anything, what's going on. So we just decide. We just decide that this is comedy now in the new world. Didn't you feel <laughs> your life slipping through your fingers? It made me appreciate what life was while also hating my life. Right. You're like, wow, what's life like when I'm not watching TV? It's not like this. It did have an inescapable quality to it. So I was like, is this life? Is Bob (laughs) Patterson life now? Am I looking at the world wrong? It was holding you down and dragging you. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) That's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, Uh, Why don't you tell us about episode two? All right. Episode two is uh, called Honest Bob. We should also say there are only five episodes of this show. Well, only five that uh, aired. aired. Yeah. I think they made nine, but were ordered for 10 or 13. Yeah, it was it, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a swift execution. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we'll talk about why it was executed later. Trust me. For sure. But well, we're talking about just the aired episode. So episode two is uh, called Honest Bob. And essentially, Bob has uh, an image issue with uh, women. What is it? Landau says women like him, just not the ones that between 18 and 79. Ha 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 ha. And so John Tesh is back, of course, because what? I actually did like that joke. The 18 to 79 joke. I did. I did. I, I, I'm happy for your your amusement. <laughs> I'm glad you were happy for a bit. Um, so John Tesh uh, is supposed to be a part of Bob's new infomercial. And, uh, but they need to get John Tesh out of there because John Tesh is just too much John Tesh. He's too much John Tesh for one life. And, uh, so they get John Tesh to quit, which is a big deal because John Tesh, he does not break a contract. But what they everybody do is- knows John Tesh doesn't break a contract. John. Everybody knows that. John and Tesh everybody break a contract. says that everybody knows that John Tesh doesn't break a contract. There is a lot of people saying everybody knows that John Tesh doesn't break a contract, including. Does Vic say it? Does Vic, the new intern, say? I think Bo Derek says it at one point. Okay. So, but uh, 
I only brought that up because we did have a recasting of the intern who got a new name. And his name's Vic. And we talked about what he sounded like earlier. But Vic like knows this. Bo Derek of uh, of 10 fame with the cornrows and the beach and the running, as uh, Jason Alexander would say. And Bo Derek is a huge fan of Bob Patterson's. And Bob Patterson, of course, is a big fan of Bo Derek. And they somehow start a relationship or at least a very brief one. We also find out that Bob's uh, son, Jeffrey, is now staying with him. So we have two new character introductions in episode two that were not present in the in the pilot. Jeffrey is, I don't think he leaves the couch in the entire first episode, or that he's in, right? I believe you're correct. He has two scenes and they're both on the couch. They're both on the couch. And Janet uh, tells Bob, you know, you just need to be honest and women will like you. So he's honest with Bo Derek. Bo Derek likes him. Jeffrey somehow picks up the phone when Bo Derek calls and says that Bob uh, has both sets of genitalia, but uses a very out of date word for it. Apparently that intrigues Bo Derek or like in a voiceover, she's saying, oh, I've never, you know, made out with someone like this. And Bob says, oh, I can't believe I'm making out with Bo Derek. But then John Tesh and his uh, wife come in and John Tesh's wife is fuming. Oh, man. She's bad because John Tesh never breaks a contract. Ian, everybody knows John Tesh doesn't break a contract. And John, everybody knows that everybody knows that John Tesh doesn't break a contract. We all know that John Tesh doesn't break a contract. When we find out that John Tesh shouldn't have broken his contract, Bo Derek's in the office. She's upset that Bob lied to her because Bo Derek was going to be the new face of Bob's infomercial. John Tesh is upset because he's been slighted and John Tesh's wife ends up being the one that uh, is part of Bob's infomercial. So everyone's just a little worse off at the end of the episode. Especially Bo Derek because she made out with Jason Alexander a bunch. Oh, God. I'll get to that. But uh, why don't you take us to episode three? Okay, so episode three, Janet is going to celibacy camp for some reason. Bob is convinced to do be nude in a tasteful way in a magazine's body issue. And he is going to be photographed by a famous French photographer. Only he doesn't know, even though they say she's a French photographer, when he meets her, he goes, I didn't know she was actually French. And apparently going back to his childhood... Anyone speaking French, uh, let's just say, arouses him. And How else would you say that? Gives him an erection, is okay. what I would say. That's the clinical term. So We're he, clinical here. He only figures this out just as he's about to get on stage in front of a group of people and has to hide in front of Vic. And then all of a sudden grabs a dog and is swinging it in front of him to hide his So that's his problem there. They all talk about body issues, I guess. So this is a big step for him. And then he's so afraid of becoming aroused during the photo shoot that he takes a libido suppressant. Of course, he takes a libido suppressant right before the attractive French photographer hits on him and tries to sleep with him. And then all of a sudden is like, why aren't you turned on by me? And he's like, oh, uh, there's there's this guy. Or no, he says, oh, boy. So she's like, boys, you like boys. And he's like, no, I don't like boys because this is the early 2000s. So then he is like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I had this opportunity and I couldn't sleep with her. And, of course, the suppressant wears off right as he is getting into his photo shoot and he's in front of a group of naked men 
and he becomes aroused just in time for the audience to applaud and us all to cut to black. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful episode about what masculinity is. Body positivity. Oh, body positivity. Francophilia. What? We, we, what is that? We love the French love. Francophilia. What? Is yeah. that an actual term? I think so. Well, I, it makes sense. I, I mean, I, I put I, two root words together and I hoped for the best. I mean, I just thought of the Spanish dictator Franco. Oh, your your former uh, your former acting teacher James Franco. Yeah, I was in that infamous acting class. That's yeah. a story for another podcast, though. <laughs> I mean, had... another podcast where I can swear. Nobody had Francophilia there. No, everyone had Francophilia there. That was the problem. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you tell on. us about episode four, John? <laughs> Well, this one's awards, Bob. This has the William Shatner cameo. Ooh. William Shatner is a rival self-help guru. Bob's trying to, you know, they have a very contentious relationship. At least it's a very contentious one-sided relationship. William Shatner seems perfectly kind to Bob throughout most of the episode, right? Like, That's he, true. He's a mensch. He is. He's a mensch. Bob is trying to put his own book over Shatner's character's book. He knocks over Shatner's uh, displays at a book signing. But when they're both up for the same award, Bob has lost to him year after year after year. And Bob has decided, hey, you know what works out great? Bribing judges. Uh, So he goes to a baseball game with the judge of this, one of the judges of this award and uh, his son and the judge's son as well. And of course, good old Jeffrey, the prankster that he is, essentially gets Bob to uh, push the judge's son off of a balcony. No, that wasn't a prank. He, He was going to catch a baseball in the stands and they're both fighting for the ball and he accidentally kicks him off the balcony. Apologies. There was a prank, though, about like spilling nachos on Bob. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was getting Jeffrey's antics mixed up with genuine assault on a child. So Landau ends up sleeping with one of the other judges who's an 87-year-old woman to help sway the vote. But still, Bob doesn't win the award. He ends up uh, accusing the injured person of reading off the wrong name. There's a huge fight on stage. Bob didn't win. Landau realizes that uh, it's actually he actually slept with the grandmother of the woman who votes. And when you know it, she had to bend the rules to get a little action. And then the audience laughed. And then we faded to black. So if this is episode four, this would be seven weeks after 9-11. Which it it kind of feels like it at this point, doesn't it? So episode Uh, five, the last aired episode, Bob and Lando almost split up the business partnership because Lando keeps using Bob's bathroom. and Lando Calrissian? I wish. I wish Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian was in this. (laughs) I'd take Billy D too, but... Yeah. If it's a comedy, eh, Billy Dee's funny. I don't, I'll, I'll take either. 
Uh, so Lando keeps, he uses Bob's bathroom every day to poop. And there are plenty of poop jokes in this episode. And so they start posturing in front of their employees about who helped who get their life together before they started this business. And they have this really excruciatingly long four to five minute segment of two scenes that is the same joke over and over and Was over it again. only four to five minutes that that scene? Dude. It felt like 20. So it felt like the entire, like an entire act. Honestly, I think you may be right. It might've been the, the entire act. If we're breaking it down to story structure, it was probably the first half of the second act. Okay. It, it felt like the, you know, the first half of the end of my sanity. That sounds right. So then they're uh, because Bob, I guess in the past, Bob worked at a store where he sold televisions. Landau was really impressed by him and they got into business together. But in these flashbacks that were super long, they each told a story where one was really successful and the other one was a schlub. And then they go to the next flashback, which is the same joke, just in reverse. And it's so long. And oh my God, it's so long. Uh, So then they split up the business and they're not friends anymore, but then they're both heard about it. And the problem becomes resolved when they both unintentionally end up at the very bar they conceived the business in. This episode is the only one with any sentimentality. and, And the weird thing about it is it does feel like a series finale, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like it is in a show that is consistently set up as you know just you can call these punchlines from a mile away it does end on what may be the most honest moment of the entire you know five episodes yeah with like actual characters being actual people who you can see for a brief second why two of these people would actually want to be around each other for an Mm -hmm. extended period of time yeah and it's weird because i Watched an interview with Jason Alexander on, oh my God, uh, what's the guy who interviewed people? RuPaul. And it used to be in front of just a black background, or, and he got uh, Charlie Rose because yes, because of the yeah. robes. So he was on Charlie Rose, and he talked about how his sense of humor. Seinfeld is famously no hugging, no learning. And he was like, but my sense of humor is a lot more. There is some hugging, you know. There is some more emotion in it there is people growing and changing and this was like two years before the show came out maybe three and I I could not believe how little of that there was until the very end yeah do you think that was studio noting do you think that it was like we've got Jason Alexander be more like Seinfeld so they sort of pushed that harder edge toward it and then episode five was that sort of sentimentality sort of, you know, looking through the floorboards and, you know, kind of creeping through a little bit. I think you may be right about that, John. And it's a great thing to talk about after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Welcome to the Dunzo Awards. The Dunzo Awards are 
what we give out to all of the shows that we review. These are superlatives uh, of whatever we feel like. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the most, it could be the weirdest. Uh, whatever it is, we've decided that these shows, no matter what they are, no matter, no matter how much Bob Patterson is in them, we are going to give them something for their time and their effort. Uh, I am going to start out and give out my first Dunzo Award to Most Confusing Cameo. <laughs> and the winner is, of course, John Tesh. Wow. I did not know who John Tesh was going into this show. Nope. I did not know why they were saying the word John Tesh so much. I wasn't even sure John Tesh was a human being. I thought he could have been a concept. Yeah, or a uh, character he, in the show, right? Yeah, a character in the show. He could have been a building. I don't really know. but <laughs> Or a bank. He could have been a bank. He could have been a nice quilt. Who knows who John <laughs> Tesh could have been? But he showed up, and he was tall, and that was pretty much it. But apparently he has a, you know, he has a career. And Yo, did you he, check out the John Tesh coaster at Six Flags? It's got the <laughs> biggest drop. I hear it goes zero to a hundred in eight seconds. Oh, oh, it does. No, yeah. that's the Bob Patterson ride. No, and then you, it flies right off. There's no end. You just <laughs> launch off and die. Like in Roller Coaster Tycoon. He does seem like he was constructed by like an eight year old <laughs> with his hair and his tall body, but like his like kind of long jacket, but he's like a little awkward. He does. He looks like a quarterback from the sixties. You know what I mean? Totally. He looks Thank like you. the guy in coach. Yes. Who, he looks like Craig T Nelson. That's exactly it. Thank you. No, I meant the guy who plays Patrick and SpongeBob, but in real life. Oh, gotcha. Did you never watch coach? No. Jerry Van Dyke? That doesn't mean anything to me. That means as much to me as John Tesh. Wait, you don't know who Jerry Van Dyke is, though? For no, real? I don't know who Jerry Van Dyke is. Dick Van Dyke's brother. He's okay. like Dick Van Dyke, but he's shorter. That makes sense. And he, he didn't have that bad Cockney accent in uh, Mary Poppins. What, you made this? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So John Tesh, though, was a is a self-help guru in, in his own right. Also, a, a very, very eclectic musician. His, uh, some no, of he's his not a self-help guru. Are you going off my notes? No, I'm not. Or Wait, I, he... I thought he was a self-help guru. No, 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 no. He's no, like he's a just musician. a musician? Yeah, oh, okay. he's a musician, and he just puts on shows. Well, I he helped know... me out. I only know this because in the second episode, while Bo Derek's making out with Jason Alexander one of John Tesh's songs comes on in their limo and she goes, Oh, this is from John's live at Red Rocks album. So I checked out the live at the Red Rocks album and he just like has a bunch of different types of songs. Like sometimes it's classical, sometimes it's poppy and he composes a lot of them and he sings sometimes. I think I didn't really listen to enough of it to hear him sing, but I just assume, uh, and a, Apparently, he hosted Entertainment Tonight for 10 years. Yeah. Wait, was it Entertainment Tonight? I'm not looking Yeah, it was Entertainment right. Tonight. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that he also wrote the theme song to Bobby's World. To, you, you guessed earlier. it. Bobby's World. <laughs> <laughs> I love to, Nobody guessed it. 
Bobby's world. That is one of my favorite jokes that one and Dunners are going to get really annoyed by. I'm going to say, you guessed it, and it's going to be something really <laughs> stupid that obviously you're gonna give no one yourself a, You're going to give yourself a catchphrase? Oh, I, I've already given myself a catchphrase. Right. I'm just acknowledging that it is a catchphrase, and it is not very good, and I do enjoy it more than it is good, and you will keep hearing it. Well, I'm glad that it's been minted. Uh, but yeah, John Tesh... Shows up for the first two episodes. Did not know why he was there. Did not really know why he left. Uh, he came in like a tall drink of water that was thrown at my head as I was in a wheelchair. And uh, it's it such a bad moment. It was such a whirlwind of confusion. It didn't make that any never... sense. No, no, it did not. So that is my most confusing cameo. Dunzo. Ian, also, what's your first Dunzo? Yeah, it's a two episode cameo. Yeah. I mean, he was supposed to be a main character, probably, right? Everything about it was confounding. There was no reason for him to be there, and there was no reason for him to... He, I think he's mentioned more than pretty much any other character in those first two episodes. Well, and that's... Including the main character. Bob's name being the whole theme song, which is Bob, 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 Bob. Bobby, Bobby, Bob, 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 Bob Patterson. Dude, <laughs> rewrite company to be Bob Patterson. Worst mashup ever. No, I think it would be great for, uh, you know, you to rewrite company for John Tesh. John Tesh, John Tesh, John, John, <laughs> Where John, did John, you John, go John, in episode three, John? <laughs> What's your first done, Zoe, Ian? So my very first Dunzo is what I'm calling the French Reference Award. And I will insert my wife saying that in French here. Le Prix de Reference Francais. Because I'm not going to say it. This is the episode with the most French double entendres in it out of all the episodes. Which, of course, is episode three. When Bob oh, was, I thought it was going to be episode two. Yeah. Now, you uh, thought it was uh, no. Honest Bob, but really it's... I don't know what episode three is called, but it should be called Erection Bob. Uh, <laughs> it's called Naked Bob. They're all naked, Bob. I feel like he shows up naked a bunch. But Ian, aren't we all naked, Bob? We are. In our hearts. So in that episode, when he is becoming aroused or not becoming aroused, he goes, when I hear it, my Gerard Depardude. <laughs> or he goes... My Jacques wouldn't Cousteau. Oh, no, it was my Jean-Paul won't Delmondo. Belmondo, who me and Natalie had to look up who that was. Some some famous French guy. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't say my Napoleon went Bonaparte. Yeah, that actually is. That feels like a layup that they forgot. I wonder if that would have passed a family and practices if you had something like Bonaparte that's talking Especially, about a boner. We forget this show is on ABC, which is insane because yes. it's post the Disney buyout. Yeah. They uh, didn't know what they were getting into. We'll get it to. They just wanted the Seinfeld numbers so bad. They just uh, wanted it so bad. They were, just, they were just hurting for it, hurting for those Seinfeld numbers. Uh, why don't you give us that uh, second Dunzo before you get into trouble? <laughs> My second Dunzo is for the most gratingly, 
gratifying theme song. Gratifying. That would be for Bob, 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 which plays through pretty much everything in this Every commercial break. Every commercial break, every scene change, presumably like every edit. It is so much to hear the name Bob. They have it running on a loop throughout the episode, and they only choose to mute it sometimes. (laughs) It did seem like we were getting in the middle of like an op sometimes. Yes. It was just, they're like, look, we, we have three and a half seconds. Just use some of that Bob stuff. No one's going to care or notice. They're just going to try not to hear it. Yes. But you were surprised by the gratifying part. The gratifying part was when it played in the last episode and I knew it would be the last time that I heard it. (laughs) That would be the gratifying part of the Bob, Bob, you know, there's and only then, five 22 minute episodes. So you only had to suffer for like 108 minutes. That's like half a Batman. <laughs> I liked that it was long. It felt good. If I like that drive going. my car was long. Give me more drive my car. My second Dunzo is for the most exhausted person. Which is Jason Alexander. I mean, <laughs> that guy, it was like, what's the what's the Roman guy who's always pushing the boulder up the hill and can never make it? He's that guy. I mean Roberto Benini. Uh I mean, I would like a Panini. That does sound delicious. Oh, Roberto Benini. Who is that? Uh Star of Life is Beautiful. Okay. You just want to make this the Life is Beautiful podcast. I have talked about it constantly. I just want to make it the guy from Sons of Tucson podcast. <laughs> the Tyler Labine podcast. Tyler Labine podcast. That's we'll that's make it the Tyler Labine about. podcast. We'll that's our Patreon. So I mean Jason Alexander on top of being one of the main writers, the main producer, you know, he's dealing with the execs. He is in on the edits. And then they just leaned on him and his. He hadn't even ever won an Emmy for Seinfeld, so they're he just didn't? Le- no. Wow, Kramer won one, and he lost to. I mean, I think David Hyde Pierce for Frasier won like five, so something insane like that. that so sounds just, about right. Yeah, he just lost to David Hyde Pierce like a bunch, mm-hmm. um, and. They just really leaned on the popularity of Seinfeld and they just wanted him in every single scene and everything had to be high energy, crazy antics, goofy. It's a very neurotic, tense tone throughout the entire show. Yeah, like as a character. And then, so he's always fighting stuff. It's not quite a farce where he's lying all the time, but it still has that energy of like he's constantly trying to solve problems and not be honest with people. Um, and people are always stressing him out or whatever. You know, the first episode, he needs a quiet space to do his work. And just every time he can't find a good space. And then once he does, somebody bothers him with a new problem. And the whole show feels that way. Yeah. It's just one big 
problem solve after another, and it's it, all on him. It feels very much like it was written at times by somebody who read a comedy textbook, like a sitcom textbook. Mm. The, like every joke is a rule of threes joke. Uh, for example, in the second episode, when they're trying to get John Tesh to quit uh, because mm. John Tesh never breaks a contract. Everybody knows that. They land out, tells Bob, okay, I'm going to do all the talking. You don't say anything. And so they go out uh, to John Tesh and Landau says, well, Bob doesn't like you. Tell him, Bob. And then so Bob doesn't say anything and then he starts to talk and Landau pulls him away. And then they come back in. And I'm like, okay, they're going to do this exactly two more times. And mm -hmm. sure enough, that's exactly what they do. Mm. And so it all just feels, it's, it's Textbook. hack. It's mm. hack. It's, yeah. it's, it's done. It's everything has, there's nothing new about any of it. Yeah, it feels there were many moments where I was like, it felt like sitcom writers from the 50s and 60s were in the mm -hmm. room because, I mean, look, I liked some of the one-liners, but they're all written, da-da-da-da-da-da, hit the line, you know, or whatever. Like, yeah. it all had the same, the lines had the same patter to them. And um, I, I like that you said that because it, it did feel very textbook. It felt like it was trying too hard. You could see how hard it was trying. And it felt to me like a mishmash of Frasier, Just Shoot Me, and Two and a Half Men. Even though I don't know if Two and a Half Men was on at the time, but it, it feels like a, a bad combination of the three. Yeah. It is also, it feels like those comedy writers too are people that constantly said, what? People can't take a joke anymore. Oh yeah, totally. That definitely was the, like the mood of the room. Like anytime they tried to be edgy or, you know, what? We're, we're all just having fun. What? There's nothing like it. It feels very much like, oh, you don't get it. Well, you just don't get comedy. That sort of you're just a, sensitive. You're sensitive. You, it's your fault that you're not laughing. Like, what? yeah. I wanted to ask you a, a question, and I, I guess it is kind of along this conversation. Did you have more to say? Because it's a little bit. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. So when it comes to edgy or offensive comedy, right? I mean, I like to think that me and you are just two empathetic people, right? Yes. So. We see a joke that we feel like is in poor taste because, I mean, for me, like, I will just hear one of my friends in my head being, like, disappointed by it or feeling kind of attacked by it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so when when I do hear those jokes, it's like that's when I'm, you know, when I'm offended or when I just think it's in poor taste or if it's bad or it's bad to be bad or, you know, there's a lot of variations on it, but so that's, that's the way I feel when I'm just like, ugh, about something like that. Mm -hmm. But more than that, I do wonder where the line is for me and you, because it's not like we don't laugh at stuff that is dark humor or that is in poor taste or that is, uh, you know, offensive to somebody. I mean, it's not like me and you, don't have things like that. Like, uh, 
you know, it, we watched another one and done show. Clerks, the animated series, they have a joke that is uh, Flintstones list where they make everyone get on the train and then they all have to pick up the train and carry it like how in the in the Flintstones, everyone has to pedal their own cars. And me and you laughed really hard at that. Granted, we were in like high school, but I still think it's funny. I mean, it's it is it's crazy, but I still think it's funny. So. My real question is, it's like, where do you draw the line or what is it that you feel like gives people a pass or when do you think they're actually saying something or what, what is your opinion on this stuff? I think it's, it's nuance and, but mm-hmm. generally it comes down to intent and it comes down to tone. Mm. Um, and also like where the onus is too, you know, so many of the jokes in this show feel like they were written by people that didn't care what anyone else thought. So there was Mm. no extra layer of consideration about what this could mean. And so that just makes it feel lazy and it makes it feel unnecessary Mm -hmm. as part of it. It doesn't advance anything when, for example, when we first meet Bob's assistant, uh, Chandra Wilson is black. And so, and in a wheelchair, which we get reminded of constantly. And the one within 30 seconds of her being introduced, Bob away from his new secretary says, we got to fire. And Landau's like, why? Cause she's in the wheelchair. And he goes, no, because she's black. And there was no, consideration about what the joke was there other than there's a like there's a next layer to that joke though what is it what is it because the line after that is it's because black people don't like him he doesn't pull well with black people so there's the shock of saying she's black and everyone being like whoa you're racist and then it's like no i'm not racist they don't like me and he flips it which it's like okay there's no. that, but again, it's it's the line. It's a it's a shock line that doesn't pay off or doesn't really have any sort of other intention behind it. It just is, and what it is is not very shocking, not very observational. It's just lazy and weird and out of place and. Mm. I think that's where the tone part comes in, too. I I guess, see, I disagree with you a bit on that, only because I do think there is that reversal of, no, I don't hate them, it's because they hate me. But there is no greater context to it beyond that. It doesn't come up later. It's not a part of his and her dynamic. It's not... Uh, it doesn't, you know, like good, good satire, it holds, you know, the cheesy line about it is it holds a mirror up to society, right? It's not saying anything. Exactly. And like, whereas a good piece of satire holds a mirror up to society, the jokes in Bob Patterson just die on the vine. There's no weight to any of them. Mm -hmm. And so it just sinks into the rest of this pool of nothingness that doesn't, advance any character it doesn't say anything about who we are as a people it just says something to say something Mm. and 
but that's that's something doesn't add up to anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's like when in episode two, see, I, th- I think in episode two, when it's like a prank, when his son tells Bo Derek that he is, uh, has both male and female genitalia. And it's just like it, I don't know. It just feels like pot shots. You know, it feels like yeah. laughing at people that aren't in the room. And, and that's the thing. Laughing they at people that aren't it. in the room. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, you know what? As soon as Royal said it, he knew it to be true. And that <laughs> that is what it is. There was nobody in the room. It was a room of guys yeah. that looked just like Jason Alexander making that joke. And so mm-hmm. there was nothing more to it other than people say it's something because nobody was going to push back on it. Yeah. And uh, that just there was just a lot of that throughout the show on top of Weird turns it took, a lot of just really, it just asks a lot from its audience of being, it just, it forced you to try to like them, even though you didn't know why you had to. It kept on, it didn't let the energy drop, so you had to, even if you wanted to laugh, you couldn't because there's another line of exposition or whatever coming right at it. So you you can't even enjoy it because you have to almost pay attention to try to figure out what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Well, John, since everyone's eagerly awaiting to know how we really feel about this show, we can build some suspense over this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Looking back at these five episodes, too, even when we were doing the episode descriptions, we have these other people that populate this world, but we don't really know anything about any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, outs- like, they don't drive any of the story. It's all, it's all Bob and it's all Landau. throughout. And, and, you know, maybe you'd get a Janet episode or a Jeffrey episode for the down the line. But we even kind of get a Jeffrey episode, and that isn't even about Jeffrey. Jeffrey's just a jerk to his dad throughout the entire thing. And then Janet's just somebody that's around the house doing naked yoga. And uh, Bob's secretary is just crying in the corner for no reason. Mm -hmm. We don't get anything behind any of them. And so why should we care who they are, what they do, if all you're going to do is force us to watch this guy who we already don't like doing things that we don't agree with and that aren't interesting or funny in any way. Tell us how you really feel, John. I was going to repeat all of that, but then I <laughs> forgot all of it immediately. If if there's possibly any more to pile onto that, it's probably the biggest flaw of the show to me, which is he, we never really see him be the great man he's supposed to be. Very, very, very true. He, yes. We don't get the Michael Scott as a good salesman moment that we need. Absolutely. He is the third best. He's supposed to be the third best self-help guru in the world. And there's great workarounds to do for that kind of thing. If you don't want to have him spouting, you know, pontificating on things all the time and you don't want to have to keep coming up with that. It's a sitcom. You shouldn't have to. Exactly. There's a great, uh, I was just rewatching a really great 30 rock where it's all, the whole thing is, uh, uh, Liz and Jenna are trying to convince the whole staff that women can be funny. 
And so they remount their two-woman show. But what they do is they just show, like, snippets of it. And, uh, like, the music that's underscoring the whole thing is saying, like, we fixed everything. We fixed everything. Like, it's it's all about, like, you don't know what – you don't need to know what they said. But all you need to know is that it was – and it plays on that idea. Yes. But – Bob it's, does. it's even another layer of a montage. It's it's like lazier than a montage. That's so it funny. It's so it's it's amazing. Uh, and so we do though get Bob sometimes trying to give people advice, and it's just like it's grating. Like when he's talking to Maria, the water jug girl, about uh, her Playboy shoot, and he's like, "If you can dream it." You can do it. You're like, okay. Right. That's like his his slogan, I guess. Actually, but it's she, not because in episode five, we find out what their original slogan was, which was they made the wrong T-shirt. It was like tuna fish. Yeah. It was tuna, like, no, it was tuna fish. No, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was tuna fish. It was tuna fish. Uh, the people that are listening to this are probably not going to be able to watch these episodes because uh, they're very hard to find. So yeah, listener, trust us when we say that Bob they're Patterson's on YouTube, big. John. Are they? Yeah. Well, then don't watch episode five, and uh, just trust us when we say that Bob's million dollar idea was tuna fish. And. So it's just like they talk about him being an icon and they talk about him being this great man and we never see it and we never will because he never was. And he never will be again. <laughs> John, I'm going to tell you a little bit about why the show was canceled. Please, I relish in it. Well, there is the simple position that it had low ratings. Again, it's that joke that like it had low ratings for the time. It had like nine million 10 million oh, views. Oh, God. At, How terrible. Those were back in the days where they were. In. Right. They were still trying to get 20 million. And the ratings just went down every week. Even though in an interview, Jason Alexander says, but we were going up every week. And uh, not according to what I could find on the internet. Uh, but anyway, so there was a lot of dysfunction when it came to this show. So originally they hired a guy named Ira Bear to be the showrunner, but the network didn't trust him because he wasn't a comedy showrunner. Apparently he was a guy Jason Alexander loved who was on Star Trek before. Uh, so they hired a guy named Tim Doyle who just was like, look, you guys do your thing. Jason, you, we know you're talented and popular. Do your thing. I'll just be the liaison between you and the network. And, that guy ended up quitting after the pilot and bad-mouthing them all around town. So even before the show was picked up to series and even before the show went on the air, it had a reputation for being dysfunctional, which I think may have led the networks to note it to death even more than maybe they would have because they felt like they had this gem that they did not want to lose. You know, it's like he's coming off a of Seinfeld, which is the finale was the second highest rated sitcom viewing of 
any show of all time behind only the MASH finale for some reason, which I will never understand. So they're they're getting him right off of, that is his last show. Think about that. So you grab someone after 60 million people just watched him, just stopped their lives to watch him. And just you get watched him. him three and a half years before, though. And that's the interesting thing, too. I'm, it seems like this show was put in a bit, you know, it was. It seemed like it was an idea that was kicked around for uh, the those three years. Like they met while Jason Alexander was finishing up Seinfeld. He probably wanted to take some time off afterwards. Yeah, and... he wanted to, you know, get a tan. He wanted to go to Barbados. Uh, he wanted to swim with the dolphins, as all Jason Alexander's. Sounded do. like when you said Barbados, it sounded like it was multiple of Barbado. I don't think I've ever said Barbados or I can't, I don't think I can replicate how I Barbados. just said Barbados. Barbados. Like Barbados. Yeah. Two, two Barbados. Barbados. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's two of them. Mm-hmm. He threw his pen across the room and became surly. Okay. Don't you bring up to the listeners about when I cheated on my Spanish test in eighth grade and I did not throw the pen across the room, the pencil. I, she said, senor, put, down that pencil and I had it in my hand and I just lifted my hand up and dropped it and it flew slightly over my table. And well, I, you know what, Ian, I believe women. Wow. Senora Johnson is not a woman. She's a monster. You could cut all this out. <laughs> she is an she is an leprechaun outfit wearing Spanish <laughs> teaching monster. She draws on her eyebrows. Anyway. I don't know if I will cut that out. So it was three, three and a half years after Seinfeld. Yes, that's where we were at. Well, but still, I mean, you don't think that he was kind of a prize pig to ABC? Like he was he, a big get? I think it was people that saw those numbers for sure. I'm just saying from a time perspective, like time passed. He wasn't just coming off mm-hmm. of that. And so... Do you think the show would have done better in 1998? Yeah. I think I so too. I yeah. fully I fully think that if this was the season after Seinfeld, then yes. Like Seinfeld went out uh with a finale that everybody loved. I like uh, the finale. I've yeah, I can I'm see just, why people would be disappointed when they I'm just being it, a troll but... for a show that I never I know. watched. So it, but still, it was a very popular show. There was still a lot of heat. But honestly, I think some of that heat might have died down in those three years. Yeah, and because so, well, in 2000, Michael Richards' show, I think it was called The Michael Richards Show, that only lasted seven episodes. And we will never review that show. Why? Michael Richards is such a non-controversial oh, you just, figure. You just love his performance in B-Movie, don't you? I, what can I say? I love uh, I love a buzz. Then watch the Buzz Lightyear movie starring Chris Evans. Uh, it's just called Lightyear. <sighs> then say <laughs> you love a Lightyear. Um, so this show also was owned by two studios, uh, which is very strange. It was maybe picked up by Fox. It was produced by Touchstone, and then it aired on ABC. But all three of those groups had their fingers in the pie. So, uh, you know, Jason Alexander talked about, and then ABC had two presidents, 
one of which was Alec Berg, who used to produce Seinfeld. Um, mm. So he basically talked about how it's like, how do you make 12 people happy when you're trying to juggle all this? You know, how do you make the guy that worked on uh, Bobby's World happy <laughs> and the guy that worked on Star Trek happy, huh? All while juggling the Fox and ABC executives who probably hate each other. This is me speculating. Yeah. Um, and that that makes sense. So it was just a probably a noted to death. People were probably super worried about it. It just and and I really appreciate the fact that looking back on it, he's like, I was such a hand on hands-on producer. And I may have just not been that talented and I shouldn't have done that much. And because I know as a creative person myself, I know a lot of people that want to be writer, director, producer, actor, composer, set dresser. They, they want to do they want to be a part of everything in their project. Most people are not that talented. Most talented people are not talented enough to take all that on and do put in the amount of work and the attention to detail that is necessary to pull off all those jobs. Yeah. You can't necessarily see the bigger picture, I think, too, when you are putting yourself in absolutely every single kind of scenario. I, I wouldn't be... If he had a talented producer behind him to kind of rein in all those notes, all of the weird ideas. Maybe there could have been something there, but generally I think it was, I think the idea of a self-help guru that doesn't have his stuff together is a, is good fodder for comedy. And so I'm sure there was a meeting at a cafe where they were, Jason Alexander and Peter Tilden were, you know, riffing and having a grand old time. And maybe there was something there. But then when they actually started to get it together and they got noted to death and maybe they surrounded themselves with other writers that were, you know, feeding off of some of their worst impulses as well. It created this show, this Patterson. I wouldn't be surprised if they were trying to, be different from and at the same time the same as George Costanza because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have the same personality as George Costanza but he does have the same energy mm-hmm. and i just think in a weird way they were trying to change it too much and trying to replicate it at the same time and that is I, that it's creates a, a monster a frankenstein's <laughs> monster you just you got a Seinfeld hoof, and you got a Frasier shoulder, and you got a two and a half men uh, sperm because it ain't been born yet. Uh, <laughs> but and then also for them to realize they didn't even realize this is what Frasier is. Frasier is a psychiatrist who can help everyone except himself. That is literally the conceit, and that was the top rated. I don't know. They gave out a bunch of Emmys. You know, it was a huge, huge show for a decade. And so they think they have this original idea, and really they don't. Any final thoughts you wanted to add here? 
No, I think we said everything that I wanted to and so many other things that I didn't did want you, to think about. Did you burn all. down enough of the village or is there some shed you didn't get to? No, I guess uh, we should ask ourselves, Ian, would you renew Bob Patterson? I would not renew, obviously. Although, to be honest, I, I some of the one-liners were fine to me. Some of the moments were, fu- were funny. You know, it's not like I never laughed at the show. It's silly. There's dumb stuff that happens. Uh, you know, so right. You, you write enough jokes, they're good. I think Jason Alexander has some good moments in there. There is some good... Uh, acting. I like his delivery sometimes. I like some of the nuances he puts into it. It doesn't feel like the character, though. It just feels like I like watching something funny he's doing. It doesn't feel like, oh, that Bob Patterson is is like that. It's just like, yeah, that was a good move by Jason. Well, well done, dude. You really hit that moment. Um, so I didn't hate it, uh, but it it, it is... It, I didn't hate it to the 100% the way you did, but it is super exhausting and it is tough to watch and watching more than five minutes of it is a slog. Uh, I have no reason to recommend this show to anyone other than a select few that uh, I think would like it for because they're different people than me. John, would you renew this show? I would not renew. Gasps. In the biggest shocker. Gasps of, in the uh, theater. I think our careers. There is there as many gasps here as when Lincoln was shot in the theater. Yeah, we can we cut that out because it's it's drowning me out all the gasps. Yeah, I'm gonna have to really suppress the volume on the audience gas they're still gasping this is 30 seconds later oh my gosh it's really exhausting yeah please can can we put on the the audience sign that says stop gasping yeah what do you mean the neon's broken well could we write it on a whiteboard and just somebody get a cue card somebody get a cue card get the audience to stop gasping i did not enjoy this show when the show started I was upset with you personally (laughs) when the show ended. So it was a great, I was upset with you personally. (laughs) I spent 108 minutes of my life hating my best friend more than most other minutes of my life. And what a good day this is. Yeah. I need you to know this. I need you to know this as the best man at my wedding as uh, potentially a godparent to one of my children, I hate you. I hate you. Fair. For doing this to me. Fair. And I really love this show, like doing this show with you, and I'm looking forward to all the other things. Oh, you love this show? No, yeah, this show. I do not love Bob Patterson. I do not love Bob Patterson. (laughs) I do not like him in a Hatterson. I do not like this man. I do not like this guru. I do not like you. I am looking forward to ending this episode and moving on with my life. Quick question. Did you ever laugh? No. Really? 
none, no. none of the one-liners, no, no, no movie. Did you ever go, that's funny? Uh, I did one time go, ah, ha, ha, ha. But that, but was, that was sarcastic. That was sarcastic. <laughs> wow, you really hate this show. And you hate the Batman. I, that, I've made that very clear, yes. You do? You said you didn't hate the Batman. I'm kidding. You silly, silly, you know, bearded boy. Uh, all right. I don't want to talk about this anymore. No, I'm done. Where can people find us? One and Done TV on Twitter, at One and Done TV on Instagram. The Twitter has an at too. I just forgot that part. We are One and Done Pod at gmail.com is where you can email us. Don't email. One and done TV at gmail.com. That is not our email, and you are emailing someone else. How dare you bother them with your TV nonsense, which, as far as we know, is not what they want to talk about, even though TV is in their email. I really hope they email us at some point. I hope that somebody does email them and then they email us at one point, being like, What what the hell, guys? And we're like, you should have grabbed the handle. Sorry. You should have gotten it on Apple Podcasts. Sorry. Should have done it on Spotify. Sorry. They probably have it in the metaverse, though. That's where they've beaten us. That's where they do it. Uh, and be sure to Venmo me money at Hamilton. Any amount will do. The more the merrier. Um John, do you want to send us off with a John Wilson recommendation or what are you going to do? I think everyone should watch How To with John Wilson. You know what? It makes me happy. And I think we all need a little How To with John Wilson in our lives. Well, with that, I'll send us off with a Bob Patterson, Bob Patterson, Bob, 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 Patterson. Patterson. R.I.P. Stephen Sondheim. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media. 